Thank you to our sponsor this week, Brianna Hoffman, a Utah licensed realtor. It's a new year. Now that the holidays are past, the market is picking up and it's a great time to buy a house. We use Brianna to sell our house and buy our new house that we live in. And so she has a special place in my heart because it was just such a smooth, kind experience. And now I tell everyone I know about her. Contact her via her website at brianna-hoffman.com. And you can also call her at 801-227-9118. Welcome to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Welcome to the I See You podcast. This is episode 74, Healing My Mind After Abuse with James Burnham, Executive Performance Coach. It's me, I live. If you didn't listen to episode 73, you might've thought I missed a week of releasing an episode, but I actually announced last time that for the time being, and just as my life continues to shift and I have different priorities to take care of, I am releasing episodes now every other Friday. So now's a good time to catch up. And actually, as I go back and I look through the episodes and listen, some of my very favorite interviews and episodes are in those first, I don't know, 30 episodes. It's hard to pick favorites, but there's just something special about when you first start something and you want it to be so good and it's just this big leap of faith. So I have a tender spot in my heart for those first episodes. If you love this podcast, I love to hear from you and it means the world if you will take a minute to rate, review, or share the podcast. That is the business of podcasts. That's the bread and butter. That's how you spread the message and it obviously means much more coming from you than it does from me. I also announced last episode that I am discontinuing the podcast apparel on my website, icupodcast.com, in the next month or two. So please, if you've been wanting some, it's free shipping. Go ahead and order now. I received multiple orders last week after I announced that, and those have already been fulfilled and gone out, so I'm happy to do more. Today's guest is a new friend of mine, James Burnham. He's a trainer, an executive coach, and a speaker, but today James opens up for the second time on a public platform such as this about enduring years of abuse as a little boy. I first heard from James when he came out with it for the first time on a on a stage. James was abused by a family acquaintance sexually, physically, and emotionally. As I listened back to this interview, and it's been weeks since we recorded it, I was amazed at how much good practical tips and tools there are for anyone who has experienced trauma. While he does refer to his abuse and his abuser, there isn't anything in this episode graphic that you need to worry about, but it is certainly a heart-wrenching topic, which is what makes the hope that James brings to it so powerful. James Burnham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in Canada, in British Columbia, on the West Coast, small town. I kind of into everything. You know, I like sports, I like art, I like music, I like reading, I like lots of stuff. Life has a lot to offer, so I have hobbies in kind of everything. I'm a dad, I have four kids that are great, great wife. I work as an executive coach, I help people perform better. That's what I do in leadership and development. Most of my people that I coach are executives, but uh, I do coach athletes, um, things like that on the side as well. And I first became in contact with you because I listened to a speech you gave at a speaker showcase. There's several things that you really hit on that really touched me a lot. But what I wanted to talk to you specifically about today is self-compassion and about your experiences with that. What experiences have influenced you to just be the passionate advocate you are for self-compassion? 
Yeah, I mean, that really stems from my own life and my own journey and figuring out what was wrong with me. I was abused as a little boy from the age of four. I don't really know when the, when it ended. Sometime between eight or nine is what I can figure out because this same guy abused some of my sisters. That, that kind of thing. Was this a family really, member? No, it was a guy that was invited into our home. Okay. My parent, my parents would bring in people all the time and to help take care of them. And this guy was a real monster. Wow. And uh, so he lived there for like four or five years. He was there off and on from the time I was four till my my older sister remembers the last time he came by the house because he came at her and she protected herself. And she was twelve, which would have put me at eight or nine. I don't have all my memories from that period of all the stuff that happened. But I have enough that it's bad, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, dealing with that growing up and you know blaming myself for everything that happened had a huge impact on my life, my formulation of who I thought I was, what I thought I could do, acceptance into groups, things like that. It's been a long journey for me to figure it out, honestly, and obviously I'm still figuring it out. I don't think we ever stopped. Well, and I was surprised when you told me before the interview that at that speaker showcase, that's the first time you said you've talked about that in public. Yeah. You seemed so natural and comfortable up on stage, and yet this has obviously taken a while. How old are you? I'm almost 50. I'm 49. Almost 50. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been years, and now why have you decided now to open up more about your story in your career, especially? Yeah, I think, honestly, my career has been a really helpful thing in in my own healing because the process of it as I'm coaching people like you get into some really difficult tough stuff that people are dealing with and it can be very easy to look at somebody and think get over it that's not a big deal you know suck it up do this I mean you can think that right but then if you really go home if and sometimes that's all that's needed right you just need to push somebody and say suck it up get this done but when it doesn't when that doesn't happen there's usually something more significant behind what you're seeing. It's easy to dismiss that. And I was dealing with some guys that were scared to talk up and confront their bosses about stuff. You know, I was working with their bosses and they were scared to do it. And I was like, guys, you know, get tough. Don't be scared. Speak up. You need to be heard. And they wouldn't do it. And I started thinking about myself because I was frustrated why they wouldn't do it. And then I realized there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm scared of that I have not addressed. And I slowly started attacking that and realized that really in order to face everything, you have to forgive yourself for everything you've done. Because if you can't see the good and the bad together, you can't see reality. If only you see your good, you're not seeing the whole picture. If only you see your bad, you're not seeing the whole picture. It's a combination of the two. Yeah, life is complicated and complex. And once you figure that out, it's actually a big relief to not live in the black and white, right? I think I don't know if I answered your question because I kind of started talking and lost it. It's great. (laughs) I don't know if you did either, but I don't care. So how have your experiences being abused as a child changed your perspective? You know, it's interesting because it, you know, this whole Me Too movement that's come about and it's fascinating to me, you know, I'm not a woman and I, but I've had it, have experienced abuse and I think women experience abuse at a far higher rate than men, at least statistically, that's what it shows. I'm going to approach this. I'm going to use political examples, but I don't want to say anything about any party. But when you look at Bill Clinton, who was accused of molesting many women, 
he did actually do stuff with an employee of his who was a young girl. You know, Monica Lewinsky has been devastated by what happened. Yeah, I listened to a TED Talk by her not too long ago. Oh, you did? On yeah. shame. Uh-huh. Like, can you imagine? And, and you know what? And he just kind of waltzed. I mean, it wasn't easy for him. I'm not saying it was easy, but he was the perpetrator. And he walked away from that virtually untouched. It ruined her life, right? Mm -hmm. And then there were women that came forward accusing him of rape and even more grievous stuff. They have been completely shut down. And the reality is, is when you step forward and say something like this happened to me, Dr. Bexel Hancock, he's like the foremost researcher on trauma, PTSD, child abuse type stuff. He states, he talks about the Catholic Church and how all the legal stuff that went into fighting off all these accusations. And he shows a direct connection between kind of the legal arguments and how it's created this concept of false memories and this doesn't really happen. And the reality is, is if you're abused as a child, it's very hard for you to ever capture all those memories. That's what they've discovered. And you doubt that it happened. You really don't believe it happened because you can't cope with that. And so it's helped me, like if somebody comes forward and says I was abused, I am far less likely to say, oh, are you sure those are real memories? That's a long way of telling you how it's impacted me. But I, I think the courage it takes to step up and say, this happened to me. If you're lying about it, you got other issues. Most people are not lying about it. Well, and I've always thought that before. I think sometimes we're so quick to be, whether it's abuse or someone saying they identify as LGBT. Yeah. It's so easy for people to doubt and to wonder, well, what do they really mean by that? What do they mean when they say me too? What are they talking yeah. about? And I just really think I take the approach of just going at it with compassion and believing and trusting, because like you said, if they are lying about it, they need compassion yeah. for other reasons. Yeah. If, if they are trying to do that to get attention, something else is going on there. So I just don't even need to worry about it. I just, yeah. I just can take it at face value and say, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, actually, I don't know if you watched Survivor. I have in the past. Not the recently, latest, but. The latest series that they just released, there was a woman that was being kind of touched by this man. Like, he was a really touchy guy. And he would, like, snuggle up to women at night, that, you know, they show this stuff. And she was very uncomfortable with it. And she told him to stop touching her. And he kind of didn't. He just kept invading her space. You didn't really get to see, but she was quite disturbed by it. Broke down, admitted it on camera. They did all these interviews. All the other girls, they had been joking about this guy, how gropey he was. But they used it in the course of the game as a way to get this girl that got molested kicked off. It was, it was a beautiful little kind of synopsis of what goes on in our world. During the course of the game, they realize this guy is molesting women, a predator of, I don't know exactly the extent of what he did, mm -hmm. but he was a predator and they kicked him off the game. Good. And then they brought her in at the end and they apologized to her because she did complain. And even though she complained, they left that guy on the game and she had to be with him on an island after confronting him and nobody else willing to take this guy out. Can you imagine, the, I mean, the strength of this girl to do that and the other girls denied it because they're sitting next to him. And they couldn't look him in the face and say, yeah, what you're doing is making me uncomfortable, right? There's a social pressure to not allow that to come up. I think I feel that, right? I feel that. It's really awkward for me to talk about, right? It's not a part of my story of my life that I imagine 
you'd get wanted, up on stages yeah, and say. It's not, it's not something I want to walk, talk and say, yeah, look at this. This is what I did because the concern is, well, then people are going to think I'm damaged. People are going to think I'm messed up. There's a lot of mm-hmm. extra scrutiny that comes with admitting that's your story. But the truth is, if you do, there's enough people out there that have faced it that it's not that way. Like, I mean, you reaching out to me after that is evidence of that, right? Well, and I can connect with, our stories are very different, but just yeah. connecting with the idea of it's terrifying to ruffle feathers when things have been silent. Yeah. And when no one else has talked about things, I've certainly experienced some of yeah. that. I think that there can be a feeling of like, why do you have to come in and mess up everything and stir up all this stuff? And we could just pretend these things don't happen. And they do. Yeah. They do happen. They do. And it can it can kill people from the inside out. Yeah. How have you found joy? <laughs> This is a heavy topic, but it's an yeah. important thing. But also there is joy that comes after it. How have you found joy after enduring so much abuse? Brene Brown. I'm sure you've read Brene oh, Brown, Oh, right? have I read Brene yeah, Brown? right? Yep, I love it. Anyone that's got self-compassion on their list just must have read from her. But I just have to say the gifts of imperfection changed my life, yeah. like changed my healing process. That yeah. one little 130-page book, it's what bought me into Brene Brown. I've read other books yeah, of her since, too. obviously, but that... That little book, I would I would recommend to anybody. It changed my life. Yeah. She's had a powerful impact on me as well. And just kind of how I perceive myself and being vulnerable. And, and this isn't a quote, but she says, don't puff up and don't shrink. Just stand and be seen. And I think that uh, it requires a lot of self-compassion to just stand and be seen. Uh, back to the stories, when I'm only looking at what's good about me, I can easily puff up, right? Mm-hmm. I can say, yeah. That, you know, or when I'm only seeing what's bad about me, I can really shrink, right? I'm worthless. But when you combine the two and offer yourself compassion, you begin to see the connections between your life. And there's a lot of joy in life, no matter how bad it is. My life is not the worst life. There are many, many people that have not the, had the advantages I've had in my life. I don't think you can compare trauma. You just can't. It is just what it is. But I think within every life, there is joy, no matter how bad your story is. I did a timeline of my life all the years, and I have all of, on the top, the good things that happened through the years, and on the bottom, all the abuse and bad stuff, the trauma that's happened to me. When you look at it that way, you really begin to see the strength that you have drawn from the bad, and it changes it from just something bad to really our, our trials are our greatest learning opportunities. And so you get begin to see, oh, I became this way because of a reaction to this. And that's a really powerful attribute. And so you can begin to have gratitude for your trials, but you can also, what was interesting was as I did this, I can remember the bad stuff really easy during periods of my life, particularly my young area, mm-hmm. you know, from the time I was little till probably about 11 or 12 was a really dark period for me. And I couldn't remember good stories. I just had bad. But I went through photo albums and then it all comes back. And you're like, oh yeah, that was awesome. Like I used to go hiking, I used to do this, I used to, you know. And I just think you need to hold on to the, the goods that's there. See it for what it is, right? Because mm-hmm. it's there for everyone. I have learned in my own life and I'm still learning I think it's hard for me to remember happy memories during certain times of my life Mm -hmm. because the hard things weren't processed. Yeah. 
But I find that the more I process them, the more I have room to accept those happy memories. Cause, yeah. And it's even sometimes I think it can be a pride issue for me where I don't want to talk about the happy memories because I have so many feelings about not being able to talk about the things that were hard. Yeah. But the more that I'm able to talk about them and process them, I can recognize, no, both were there. Yeah. There were a lot of happy times. And yeah. I think that sometimes maybe I'll remember more. Mm -hmm. of the happy stuff as I deal with the things that felt hidden and unseen. Yeah, I think it's really powerful to be able to see the whole side of it. You know, kind of like Bourdais says, you stand in the middle. It's not the good. It's not all the bad. It's that reality. And I think self-compassion is a key element of being able to see all of it. I hadn't planned to talk about this, but because I'm so passionate about it and because I know you are too, will you just touch on for a second how mindfulness has been healing for you? Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I, I started practicing mindfulness maybe close to three years now, three years ago. I got a book. I, I was traveling a lot with my consulting job, and so I was listening to books when I traveled. And I got a book called uh, Science of Mindfulness. It, it was one of these great courses on Audible, and this professor, uh, Dr. Mueller, he talks about uh, mindfulness, and I was so compelled by what he was saying. I began to practice it and, you know, you have to be patient. It's not immediate, but I will never forget the first time I experienced a change from it. I was actually going to Lagoon with my daughter. She's <laughs> seven. Yeah, seven. We were crossing, my wife dropped us off. We were crossing that big exit road. And as we crossed, she was standing beside me on the inside and was looking up at me, not watching traffic. And she stepped right onto the road and it was busy. Cars were just exiting like crazy. And she almost got hit. And I grabbed her. Like I saw it, I grabbed her. I pulled her back. Just got missed. And I shook her a little bit. You know, just like, and I was like, Coco, watch. And I saw her shrink, right, from me in fear. And in that moment, it gave me the practice of mindfulness, gave me the space to recognize my habitual response, which was anger in regards to the fear that I felt. And I realized I'm not angry. I'm scared. I'm terrified. And I immediately went from yelling her name Coco and seeing her shrink to wrapping her up in my arms, addressing the real emotion, which was fear. And I said, oh, sweetie, I'm so scared. I just thought I about lost you. I'm not mad at you at all. Yeah. You stick with me. And what happened, which would have been her feeling hurt and not wanting to touch me, came to her like wrapping her arms around my leg and staying right next to me. And it changed everything, right? because I was able to see the core emotion. Whereas before, without mindfulness, I had no space. I was, a, I was so reactive to the world. It's hard for me to dial down to sit in my skin and not see threats everywhere. That's, that's the way it is, right? So you gotta start to wreck, it's, I think it's exactly like anxiety. That rears its ugly head, and you've got to be able to see it. And when you see it and recognize it, it becomes something you can manage. But if you push it away and ignore it, it will overwhelm you. Yeah, it manages you. Yeah. And that's what I learned was through mindfulness, I was able to finally start to look at things that I had never been able to look at before and see what was really there. And then I was able to start to forgive myself, you know, deal with the situation and feel sorry for that, you know, or remove blame from myself that wasn't supposed to be there, but was, you know, stuff like that. But it, it took some time. 
Oh, that makes me teary just, and I'm not even exactly sure why, just that I believe so much in the power of mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. And if people don't know what mindfulness is, I'll give a quick description. Sure. But please add to if you have a better way of saying it. Mindfulness, how I think of it is being aware of your thoughts and looking at them in a curious and self-compassionate manner. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is there anything you'd add to that? I I think uh, a lot of times we mix up mindfulness and meditation. Right. They're separate things. They are separate things. Mm -hmm. But but meditation is a practice that helps you become mindful. And and how you do it is, you know, people have, I think all religions have some form of meditative practice that is mindful. For me, I really like, I really like the core issue, like the core approach, which is through Buddhism, which is non-secular. You can apply it to, if you're not an issue, if you're not religious, you can use it. If you are, you can use it. Doesn't matter. But then helping you identify which really being able to sit within your mind and watch the feelings and thoughts that flow unbidden through your head constantly and not be taken away from them gives you a real power to stay present and still acknowledge what's happening within yourself. And it's not something that just comes. It takes training. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I used to, I used to struggle with suicide ideation so much. I think because I was, as a kid, I was really obsessive about, about suicide when I learned that my father had struggled so much and observed some of that. And so I had to get really, really good at recognizing what are my thoughts? What are my instincts? It's like you have the physical body, you have the mind, and then you have, for me, people have different words for it, but I'd call the spirit. What's like my internal core, that quote, your thoughts become your actions haunted me Yeah. because I would have the craziest thoughts holding my newborn child. I, I mean, I had to get really good at saying the mantra to myself. I thought this, but I'm going to do this. And yeah. I would say that to myself all the time because the kind of thoughts I've had in my head are, oh, yeah. are they're crazy and they're scary and they do not match with my belief system at all. Right. But mindfulness, you get really non-judgmental about your thoughts and you're right. able to see them as clouds that go by. You're able to be like, I thought that, yeah. huh, but I'm going to do this. Yeah. And the better I got at that, I actually, the thoughts became less frequent. It takes time. And there's yeah. times when that will rear its head again. And it doesn't, they used to send me into panic attacks, palm panic attacks. And now yeah. it's, it might shake me up once in a while, but I think because of mindfulness, I'm not afraid to be alone with my thoughts anymore, which is huge from where I used to be. No, I, I totally appreciate that. I, uh, I mean, I used to think suicidal thoughts constantly all day, every day. It would just pop right. I just thought that was normal. Right. Same. I remember asking someone Found about out it later, once. Like, yeah, it's not no, normal. You're, like I would, I would never answer that I thought suicidal thoughts until I later learned that thinking about killing yourself multiple times a day when something bad happens are suicidal thoughts. For me, a suicidal thought was I had a plan very specifically laid out. Yeah, that the I was date, to, the time. Yeah, right. And same. I got there too a few times, but that was like, oh, that's just temporary. I just got through that, you know, yeah. like you push it aside. You made me think of the process of dealing with that stuff, not acknowledging your thoughts is a real, real bad thing, you know? But it feels safer in the moment. It's the easier choice. Yeah. But I think it, I don't know, at least for me, there comes a time you have to deal with it. Yeah. And I think that was what it allowed me to do. Practicing mindfulness actually is what allowed me to see what happens to myself. And it's a tricky thing to talk about because it's not like I ever forgot that I was abused. But 
I remember, I'm sure you've done this, that you've looked through past photo albums and you come across a picture and you see the picture and it brings back all the memories that are there. They've never left you and you know they never left you, but you just hadn't looked at that memory for a while. But mm -hmm. the picture brings it back. And that's what it was like for me to remember my abuse. And there were signs there. Like I had these nightmares that I always had as a kid that plagued me that were revolving around this guy. They, they were bad. They were really bad. For years, I managed to get over that. But then when I was 16, I ran into this guy that abused me on the street. I was coming home from basketball practice. It was night. And I ran into this guy and I was way bigger than him at that point. I grew up pretty fast. He wasn't a very big person. And I talked to him and I was terrified. And I kept thinking in my head, he can't hurt me. I could beat him up now, he can't hurt me. He left and I collapsed to the ground and shook for like a half hour so badly I couldn't even walk. I just lay there and I remember thinking, what is wrong with me? I didn't connect it to what had happened at all. But I always have thought to myself, what's up with that? Like, why did I react that way? And then when the memories came, like as I started to deal with my emotions and the things that evolved around that, it just kind of peeled away. And I saw everything, the stuff that had happened and how I had just kind of quit looking at it, which was astonishing. I wasn't able to see it until I could forgive myself for all the other stuff, the, the bad thoughts I had about myself, all that. So if there's someone listening that really connects with this and specifically has been abused in some way and they're struggling to find that joy, they're not on the other side of it. And I think I would say on the other side of it, I don't think that means that you don't have to do some maintenance work. At least that yeah. hasn't been my life and I don't no. think it's been yours. But I think that you and I could both agree that I feel a lot of joy in life. I, sure. I'm really proud of my life. What would be your message to them? I think it's important for us to all to know that our life experience is not something in a silo and unique. I mean, it is unique. Everything about your life is unique. And at the same time, it is not. Your life experience is shared by millions of people. And there's something powerful when you can sit and begin to feel like somebody has gone through what you've gone through and gone to the other side. And there are people with far more brutal experiences than me that get through to the other side. There's the possibility to do it. And we have come so far in how we treat trauma and PTSD from, you know, even when I was a kid, they, they didn't know what was going on with me when I was a kid, right? right. I was just a behavior problem child but we see things better and we have better treatments and there's really good treatments out there you know like emdr it sounds really crazy oh i'm doing it right now it's... but it is unbelievable and there are scientific facts they you know they have research they've done meta studies they, it right because it sounds hippie it, oh. but the science backs it up when they first did it to me because i'd read it all about the science of it and i was like i'm gonna try this and they start waggling their finger in front of my eyes. And I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're it's like, I've arrived. Work. I guess I'm desperate if I do yeah, this kind of thing. It's not work on me. And then it does. Like, it just gets you. Yeah. But there's lots of stuff out there like that. Lots of resources. But it takes hard work. There's no magic pill. But that's life. That's me. When would you say it's worth it? It's totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, you can get through to the other side and your life... Literally, it's like taking a load off of your shoulders. Yeah, and I would agree with that. It's 100% worth it, and you don't have to do it alone. 
Yeah. I think it's good to find people to connect with. And hopefully this can, this podcast can be a resource for that just to know that you're not alone. Yeah. And know that it's, you're never through it because life is all about that. And, but you can start to look at your, your trials really rather than super bad experiences, which they are. Yeah. But you can also look at them as avenues for how they have developed real strengths in you. Because anybody that's had real trials, they have developed some coping mechanisms that when harnessed and used properly are super powerful. Mm-hmm. So there's some gifts there for you to unfold if you haven't done that yet. And that's really hopeful yeah. and self-compassionate. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you for being on the podcast, John. James. Uh, James. <laughs> okay i do this i'm gonna probably leave that in because that's just (coughs) james i knew that james burnham i'm gonna link your website and stuff in the show notes it's jamesgburnham.com perfect thank you for being on the podcast today thanks for having me thank you to james for sharing his story and his heart with us he's a special special guy as i'm sure you can tell and i've already learned so much from and look up to him as a great example of both grit and forgiveness grit and forgiveness That's a pretty magical combination in my opinion. Thank you to this week's sponsor, Brianna Hoffman. I'll say her name all day long. She's the best realtor in all the land. She's a great contact to bounce questions off of, no strings attached, she's super low pressure, and I hope you'll use her as a resource if you have questions about real estate. It's a tricky time. It's a tricky time to figure out real estate. There's a lot of opinions out there and I trust her so completely. You can contact Brianna Hoffman at her website, brianna-hoffman.com, or call and text her at 801-227-9118. Podcast listeners whom I love, when this is released, I will be in San Diego, California. I'm so excited. I am being flown out to speak at a women's retreat there. And I also have the fortunate opportunity to do a live interview podcast with the late Mayor Taylor's wife, Jenny Taylor. If you don't know the story of Major Brent Taylor, he was the mayor of North Ogden, Utah when he was called for his fourth deployment and he didn't come home. He left behind his wife and their seven children. I'm excited to spend this weekend with Jenny and soak up her incredible strength as a mother and her patriotism as a dedicated citizen of the USA. We will be doing a live podcast there at the retreat, and that will be next time's podcast, so you'll get to hear it all on here, and I can't wait to share it with you. Wish me luck. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you.